0: The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 188 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, which is the 10th and final episode of our Civil Engineering Entrepreneur Series, I will be talking with Garrett Gladshow and Lucas Chambers, co-owners and principal engineers at Pro HNS LLC. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I'm thrilled for this episode. This has been an awesome series, Civil Engineering Entrepreneur Series. We're so thrilled to our sponsor, Big Time, who I'll tell you about just in a minute, but really hearing from different people civil engineering professionals on how they grew their firm, different size firms, different challenges has been such an exciting experience. I hope that we can extend this series and do another 10 episodes because I think there's so much that we can learn, whether you own your own civil engineering company, you're working towards it, or even if you just work for a larger corporation, there's still a lot of great tips these professionals are sharing. And in today's episode, Garrett and Lucas, they share some really interesting stuff. I mean, they have some interesting challenges and opportunities being located in Juneau, Alaska that they get into. But also what I found to be really interesting in this episode is Garrett and Lucas are friends before they started the business together or started building the business together. And you'll hear their story. But there's one approach that they've taken in their business with each other, with their employees, that's really helped them to grow the company. I'm not going to give it away just yet. They're going to talk about it just in a few minutes here. But it really, to me, just brought to light an important skill set that we talk about a lot but we don't talk about it in the way of building a civil engineering company. And so I'm thrilled to share that with you. Before we get started, this, of course, is a free podcast and our sponsors help us keep it free. So I'd like to recognize our sponsor for not only this episode, but for this entire Civil Engineering Entrepreneurs series, which again has been awesome, Big Time. Big Time is the industry-leading PSA software Providing time tracking, billing, and project management for engineering firms with the goal of getting your business back to business. You can learn about Big Time's PSA solution at bigtime.net. And we will do a follow up episode where we will look through each of these civil engineering entrepreneurs series episodes and try to put together some big picture thoughts on some of the challenges and opportunities that companies of different sizes have had in growing their civil engineering firms. And we'll kind of do a recap episode because I think there's a lot of value in doing that. With that, let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Garrett and Lucas. Civil engineering podcast,
1: civil engineering podcast.
0: All right. Now I'm excited to welcome our guests onto the show today, Garrett Gladshow and Lucas Chambers. They are co-owners and principal engineers at Pro HNS out of Juneau, Alaska. Gentlemen, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Thanks for having us, Anthony. We're humbled to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to have you. Uh, you know, I can't say we've had someone on the podcast recently from Alaska I actually went there and spoke there once for the local engineering societies, and they they told me it's a little bit of a challenge to get people coming from the lower 48, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I was thrilled to be there, and I hope to get back there. Garrett, why don't you start us off here and tell us a little bit about how you ended up starting the firm? How did the firm start?
1: My journey with the firm started in 2016. I had been working for Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities here in Juneau. And I had an opportunity to partner up with a former partner who's uh, no longer with the company in this venture with Pro H&S. At the time, he was a sole proprietor working out of Haynes, And kind of the idea was I was going to come aboard and start bringing up our Juno kind of clientele and operations up to speed, you know, see kind of where the opportunity took us. I was always interested in getting back into consulting. I'd done that earlier in my career and the opportunity presented itself in 2016 and I couldn't pass it up.
0: Lucas, tell us how you got involved, where you got involved.
2: Yeah, I actually uh, was working for the Department of Transportation here in Juneau and uh, that's how I met Garrett and we had become friends kind of through work and outside of work and uh, Garrett left and kind of started this company and keeping close tabs on him and his expertise and his partner's expertise was more in kind of the construction side of the business. And I was a highway designer for DOT. And so I kind of had this design background, you know, AutoCAD, Civil 3D training, and they identified a need, you know, for their company to have that design side was a service that, you know, they weren't providing at the time. And so kind of when that first small project, you know, opportunity arose and kind of hemmed and hot and with the wife and Decided, you know, this was a a good time, young age, to kind of take a risk like this if it didn't work out. So, I decided to ultimately leave the Department of Transportation and join Garrett and Jeremy as a partner of ProHNS. And shortly after I joined, Jeremy actually resigned and relocated to Vermont to be closer to his family. And this kind of actually opened up kind of a window for me as you know taking on a larger role with the company and uh, really helped establish our Juno office here and kind of our client base locally. And as far as kind of some of the services. ProH provides now um, we will offer a range of civil engineering design permitting materials testing uh, and construction administration and inspection services you know for both public and uh, private sector clients
0: Lucas you mentioned there talking to your wife assessing kind of the situation and the risk and, and whatnot talk about that for a minute because you know this is a, a series we're talking about you know civil engineering entrepreneurs starting a company growing a company. Did you think of yourself as an entrepreneurial person or was this just something that looked appealing to you in terms of a career opportunity? Talk to us about that, Lucas. And then Garrett, I want to hear the same from you.
2: That's a great question. And I think about that back on, did I have this entrepreneurial drive and when I was young or going to school? And to be honest, I didn't feel that about myself. Had kind of reached a, a peak of, of where I was at, and working for the Department of Transportation, and just was kind of ready for something new. And um, at the time, I was actually 29, you know, so felt pretty young. And we, getting in on the ground floor of a company felt like an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And, and working with people I like to work, and kind of in the back of my mind was, well. This doesn't work out here even in the next five years. You know, I'm still in my 30s and I can regroup somewhere else and I haven't lost a lot. And so it was pretty fun. I actually got a call there from Garrett and my wife and I were on our honeymoon in Scotland. And so we had a lot of time to really go, you know, we were kind of doing a road trip. So we just had a lot of time to go over the pros and cons and kind of really evaluate that risk and ultimately decided that it was worth it. And uh, I'm really glad I did. I haven't really looked back. So
0: How about you, Garrett? Did you find yourself as an entrepreneurial type?
1: I grew up around it. My father was a small business owner for a lot of years, kind of a bit of a self-made man. And and I just he had kind of preached to me young that, you know, if you ever have the opportunity to be your own boss, do it and don't look back. And I kind of grew up with always having that in my back of my mind to end up in a position like I am now. It definitely came along a lot earlier than I was expecting, and and I think a lot earlier than a lot of folks kind of get a chance to experience. But it definitely took a big leap of faith. I remember Jeremy and I were talking a lot about about whether or not I was going to join the firm. You know, it was a conversation that happened over the course of nearly a year before I finally made that decision to jump aboard with them. And at the time I left DOT, I had three weeks of work with ProHNS. That was it—three weeks of billable hours, and then. I was going to be out of work. So it definitely took a bit of a leap of faith to leave that salary kind of job with the DOT and and run with this. And it's funny, you know, I had the same conversations with my wife about the pros and cons and the risks. And she ultimately kind of said, hey, this is the kind of opportunity you came here for, you moved to Alaska for, let's take it.
0: We have a lot of listeners that are probably thinking about starting their own civil engineering company. And I think no matter how many times you hear it, it's just good to hear it from people that They took a risk that it is a risk. I mean, make no bones about it. It's a risk. But at the same time, you know, you only get to have one career. So you got to kind of make the best of it. And if there's an opportunity, sometimes you have to jump on it. And the other thing about it is that there's always a balance. Like, I think the real big positive of doing this when you're younger, to Lucas's point, is that probably you have less to lose at that point. If someone's starting out maybe in their 20s, maybe they don't have kids or, you know, other responsibilities and they can kind of take that risk. Some people will say when you're older, you have like some more business experience and it might be easier to, to then build a company. I tend to err on the side of the younger you can give it a shot, the better, just because you have more time to readjust and you know adapt. And like Lucas said, if it doesn't work out in five years, I'm you know 34, 35 years old. I still have my whole career ahead of me. So the fact that you guys were my public agency probably has really come back to help you. And we could talk about that maybe later. But I think that having that perspective is extremely valuable. So Let's jump in here talk some business here. Garrett, people are obviously a critical component of building any business, especially a civil engineering firm where you're constantly dealing with people, consultants, agencies. Talk to us a little bit about your perspective on the importance of people development at your firm, You know how you find people, how you develop people, how you retain people. Talk a little bit about your philosophy around that.
1: And I think this is one area where Lucas and I are really synced up and it really comes down to people are our greatest resource for any company, but especially for an engineering firm that's providing consulting services. At the end of the day, the product that we're quote unquote selling our clients is professional services. And the quality of that product you're going to provide is highly dependent on the quality of the professionals you have working with you. So people are huge. Lucas and I talk about it often. Pro h at the end of the day, is just a name. At the end of the day, the services we provide, the reputation we build, and the opportunities we get comes because of the fantastic staff we have that's part of our team. It's been interesting getting the opportunity to work with so many great people and develop our staff. We recognize we need folks in key positions, and we try to develop people into those positions as well as seek out new hires for those positions. But it really starts with understanding those roles we're trying to fill.
0: So being really organized around what your needs are as a company in terms of the people that you need in your company.
1: Yeah, absolutely and looking for opportunities to get people into the right position, a lot of up for what we do for recruitment and you know bringing people aboard is really based on word of mouth. We do post jobs. we use the nationwide recruitment sites you know just like everybody else and we do have some folks that have come to us through those tools. But really, the network and word of mouth connection has been how we've gotten a lot of folks into our team.
0: And that kind of leads us well into the question that I wanted to ask you next, Lucas. You know, as a civil engineering company grows, there's ultimately going to become more seats available, kind of going back to what Garrett said. When you start the business, it might be YouTube doing, you know, most of the different tasks, the marketing, the business development, sales, the project delivery. But as time goes on, you're going to need to fill these different roles. How do you go about? ensuring that you have kind of the right people doing the right things and that you make those adjustments. What do you guys do to kind of, to look into that as the company grows and grow with it?
2: We have experienced that situation and then we are currently, you know, experiencing that very situation of adding new positions. And as we've seen the the company grow, you know, we have been able to afford i guess to add new positions and specific roles such as like a human resources or marketing you know just directed towards just providing you know that for the company and what we've found is sometimes those people have come in the door and we've put them you know on a job like doing bookkeeping and then found that you know just through working with them that their skills are maybe more suited to you know a human resources type of field and how we've been able to kind of identify that is just with talking with them, regular check-ins, do you like what you're doing? Are you interested in this? You know, and, and through those conversations, yeah, we've kind of found people's strengths and weaknesses where their um, passion lies and, and have even shifted people around that we've already hired for one job and then put them in another position. And then, hire someone to, to come in and manage just the books and then find that, oh, they have some background in it and, and we can kind of utilize that resource. So, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll shift duties around from our positions to other positions, you know, to kind of line up with people's skills. And, and honestly, that's, coming from just some open communication and and Garrett and I talking with each other about, you know, what we're seeing, but also talking with the employee. And during the interviewing and hiring process, you're always trying to identify the hardworking talented people. But sometimes that full skill set doesn't come to light in in that short period of time. And and you kind of see these things at daily work and stuff. So that's kind of how we have been able to move people around and and promote them into the right position is that open communication and one uh, comment that we talk about with potential hires and amongst ourselves analogy we like to use is, you know, we're we're not trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole. And so we try to make that, you know, very apparent to when we're bringing people on board is like, what do you want to do? Because there's a good chance that, you know, we can make that happen for you. It's been interesting that way, for sure.
0: Have you guys sought out any kind of business coaching or mentoring other entrepreneurs to help you in any of this? Or is this something like specifically this issue of scaling and finding people in specific positions? Or is it more, of, like you said, you, Garrett, and your staff just having open and honest conversations to this point?
2: As far as reaching out and been pretty lucky to connect with some other local business, owners, civil engineering business owners that maybe have just retired and now aren't direct competition and, and been able to kind of bounce some. Ideas off of, and they can kind of see themselves in us too. You know, maybe kind of growing up and been willing to kind of share some of that their experiences and kind of how to do that. So it's kind of building that network and getting comfortable with other people that get them to willing to share kind of some of their insight about how to approach things. I think that's been helpful in that process.
1: I was going to say, I'd actually like to add to that. You know, and talking about those resources. One thing we discovered here in the last couple of years and have taken advantage of is the Mentor-Protege Program, all small Mentor-Protege Program through the Small Business Administration. So we've actually entered into a Mentor-Protege Agreement through SBA with a larger civil engineering firm located in Washington who's not direct competition with us. But for part of that program, that's really allowed for us to bounce ideas off their resources and bring them aboard for everything from benefits discussions to hiring practices, recruitment, marketing, things like that. It's been a really neat experience to have that mentor firm with us, and and we've been utilizing them as a great resource here in recent years.
0: That sounds like an amazing resource. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm sure some of our listeners might want to look into that. Is that something you guys just found out on your own? Or?
1: We connected with this firm through some market research of business opportunities. And so I began developing a, re- kind of a relationship with a project manager there at this firm. From that relationship, it led to them actually bringing to our attention this small business mentor-protege uh, program. And the big benefit to the mentor, I would say, is that As a small business, we can now go in after federal contracts as a small business joint venture where we're the prime and they're the sub under our mentor protege relationship. So it's a great program. I would highly advise any small business that's looking to expand their resources and knowledge base to consider looking into it.
0: One of the things I just want to mention here that I think this episode will really bring to light is one of the things you have to think about when you're starting a civil engineering company that's very important is your geographic location, the, any constraints or limitations or opportunities that are brought about by that. And I say that because you know Lucas and Garrett are located in Alaska, which presents many challenges and I'm sure opportunities as well. But every business, especially civil engineering, I mean, a lot of our work is very related to the environment and with our surroundings. I know that's something that you really need to consider when you're planning for your business. You know, thinking about seasonal issues or challenges, thinking about opportunities or specific types of projects that might be readily available in your area. We haven't talked about that much during the series, but being that you're both in Alaska, uh, that's something that I know from visiting there myself. Those are things that you really need to be aware of, and we can get into that a little bit. But I think one of the things, and we talked about this before we started today, is the climate and how that affects your construction season and. Gary, maybe you could just mention that quickly here so people understand that limitation for you.
1: We're in Southeast Alaska and folks that have been to Alaska probably would understand, but for those that haven't, you know, Alaska is a huge state. We're actually closer to Seattle than we are to Anchorage. Kind of hard to believe, but that's, you know, where Southeast Alaska is. But even here where we're located, yeah, we're not in the frozen tundra, but nonetheless, our construction season really is about May till October of each year. At that point, it's just too wet, too cold, too much snow, and really our construction pretty much shuts down. So most of our projects are hit it hard. You know, when we do have our construction season, we're out there seven days a week, working six months nonstop with the exception of a few holidays. We're just really trying to get as much work done as we can in that short season.
0: And Lucas, just to follow up to that for you, I would imagine too, in terms of hiring and finding people, you have also certain geographic. Not a limitation. Someone, I guess, potentially could come further away, but you're kind of out there, away from the, the lower forty-eight to some degree. So I would imagine that that's a factor.
2: Definitely, and throughout my career and working for some government agencies, and I've seen a lot of people come and and work for a year and and leave. And honestly, the weather, the darkness, the winter has has been a dry, you know a factor that they just couldn't handle, didn't really grasp moving here. So when we're We're looking to hire people. It's always very important for me to, they're coming from somewhere else that try to make sure they understand what they're getting into from that side. But yeah, I mean, always big plus is someone that's local lived here or potentially has family here and and has a reason to be close. So that's probably one of our bigger challenges for recruitment is just our geographical location, you know. But you know, we kind of supplement that with some exciting projects and exciting experiences and getting to travel to cool locations that are pretty off the grid. And you know, some people like that, some people don't. So,
0: When I was there, I met older couple retired and they told me that what they do at this point in time is they spend their summers in Alaska and their uh, winters in Hawaii. And I kind of was thinking, who's got it better than them? Because obviously we all know how beautiful Alaska really is and you get those long days in the summer we know what Hawaii is as well. So just, I wanted to make the point that you as a civil engineer out there, if you're thinking about your business, you need to be really aware of those limitations and opportunities around your region, especially if you're someone who might be not from that region and you need to learn about those because there might be a learning curve there that you may not be aware of that I think is something that you really need to think about and learn. Garrett, getting back to the development of people, right? We talked about people, you mentioned they were your greatest resource. How do you kind of identify the needs in terms of their development that they might need, whether it's training or mentoring? Do you have some kind of process or how are you focused on the development of your people in there as they progress in their careers?
1: Just to step one back, really the key, I think, first and foremost is to develop the right people. You have to be willing to let the wrong people go. That sounds pretty harsh and maybe contrary to what we're talking about, but the reality of it is as a business, as an owner, as a hiring manager, you're not going to hit it out of the park every time. Some hires just won't be a good fit for your culture or just won't be a good fit for your needs. And if that comes up and you've given them ample opportunity to correct or redirect their skill set or otherwise through open communication, you still need to be willing to let that person go. It's really going to be better for both parties in the long run. And that's really important, I think, because that allows you to then focus on the people that you want to develop that are the right people. Put your resources into them. When it comes to job training, it comes to skills development, we really look at it as two different categories. First being, what is job required training or job required certification? So if we're going to send you out to the field to test structural concrete for slump and air content, you better be ACI certified or equivalent. Also, you know, real common one, I think most everyone sees in the industry is erosion and sediment control training for staff. That's a very common one we see for job required trainings. But otherwise, we kind of look at the other half of it as selective training or selective skills development, where we put that burden back on the employee to really identify what they want to do and are passionate about. Now, we try to encourage that as best as we can. We commit to training budgets at the end of the year, but we would much rather pay five times the fee training fee for an individual to take a course they're passionate about rather than to bring in a course for the entire company just in the interest of getting CEUs. We found that folks that are passionate about the conference or training or certification they're pursuing is going to get a lot more return on our investment in that training.
0: You're clear on the technical types of certifications and training that you may you'd like someone to get that line up with their job responsibilities. But on the other end of the spectrum, if there's other skills that they feel that they want to develop that they're passionate about, you kind of give them a leash to do that and some obviously the budget and the investment to do that, which is great. You know, having that emphasis on that, I think, is really important. And, and you know, going back to what you said there in the beginning keeping someone on board too long, that's could be dangerous, especially when you're talking about a small company where kind of every single person on the team plays probably a pretty big role and does a lot of different things. And you got to make sure you have the right people. And it sounds to me just so far, you know, between some of the things that you and Lucas have said, you guys are very open from a communication standpoint with your staff, with each other. And I would imagine Lucas, that that's really been a key for you guys in terms of being able to grow.
2: I benefit from open communication, talking stuff through with people, hearing myself say something out loud often allows me to solve that problem in my head <laughs> without even getting the feedback. I think it naturally you know, is something that I need to do to figure stuff out. And so it has just seeped into the company culture of us just being very open and getting, communicating with our staff and not trying to, to hide our knowledge.
0: A couple of years from now, we'll have to reconvene and have another episode and see how it is as you scale a company, keeping, maintaining those lines of communication. Because I would imagine that it could be more challenging, but I would also imagine that starting it this early is a real positive, which will make it easier to kind of create a culture around it. I think it's one of those things that kind of need to get it going early on to make sure that permeates the company and the culture and, and go from there. Lucas, I want to transition here a little bit and talk about company or business problems. I mean, problem solving is obviously essential in what engineering leaders need to do. We talked about maybe some of the challenges or issues that you guys need to deal with on a regular basis, but how do you kind of identify or the company as a whole kind of identify problems that arise so that you can tackle them quickly and efficiently?
2: We kind of keep harping on this and, and bring back to, to this. But like I just kind of said, it's it's that communication with Garrett and thinking through those, saying stuff out loud and, and thinking through stuff. So, you know, often we're very engaged throughout the day, talking about, okay, company to-do lists, how our projects are going and sitting down and, and talking through that or, you know, while we're grabbing a cup of coffee or something. And it's having, you know, identifying like individually, it's like, okay, here's what I'm seeing it seems like, you know, we had the potential to be losing these some staff members because, you know, we, we aren't offering the right benefits. Garrett's come back. You know, I've been kind of thinking about that as well. And, and maybe we were individually each kind of in the back of our minds kind of stewing on something. And then by getting it out in the open and having that reaffirmation from a business partner and allows us to kind of realize like, oh, maybe something we internally thought wasn't as big of a deal. Maybe this is something we need to take a closer look at it and address sooner rather than later. And so, having that business partner, particularly for me, and, and kind of that that back and forth and, and getting a different perspective has been extremely valuable. I would, yeah, certainly recommend for other people trying to start a, a business. You know, if you do have someone that you trust that is in a similar line of work or, or can bring their own skill set, having a business partner really helps kind of share that load and allows you guys to work together to solve problems or or I guess, you know, more importantly, identify them. You have to do that before you can solve anything. So I found that to be the most beneficial.
0: Let's kind of dig into that a little bit more. I think this is an interesting component of what you guys have been able to do here is you know keep the lines of communication open, which you know Lucas kind of described here, but talk to us a little bit more about the details of that. So do you guys get together every day? Like are you located in the same office most of the time? Talk to us about how you guys actually communicate.
1: My office right now is right next door to Lucas's. So that's a big plus. And, uh, you know, oftentimes, as Lucas has mentioned, you know, we are friends outside of work. We were friends before we were business partners. So that also kind of offers other opportunities outside the office to discuss issues we might have. We're actually both dog owners. So that's a great opportunity for us to take the dogs for a walk after work sometimes and talk about those things. Maybe we're not as comfortable talking about around the staff here in the office. Oftentimes, you know, we'll find opportunities to maybe go grab lunch to talk about issues in private. Maybe we need to take a deeper look at, but that communication really for us, when we have a problem, who it's not evident what the solution is to that problem. It seems to me we often end up talking about, okay, the two ends of the life cycle of the problem. You know, first we're talking about, okay, how did this problem originate? And then on the back end of that life cycle, we're talking about, well, how do we mitigate this problem in the future? And usually just by discussing those two ends of that life cycle, that problem, we end up finding the solution to that problem somewhere in the middle. So I think it's really good to just be able to have that partnership, have that peer mentor, whatever it might be, to kind of discuss through these problems and balance it back and forth. Because ultimately, through those conversations, you're going to find the solution you're looking for.
0: For all those civil engineers out there that are friends... I'm thinking about starting a business together and it could be different for other people, but it sounds like for you guys, the personal friendship has been a big benefit and a big value add to your business relationship and being able to kind of be so connected to each other in terms of your ability to communicate, your ability to address problems and think through things. sounds like, Garrett, from what you're saying, that's been really helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think what really it boils down to is we have already established the trust before we went into business. Trust in your peers, trust in your partners, trust in your mentors. I think that is huge toward these types of conversations because at the end of the day, you know you have to have comfort bringing up a problem or discussing an issue with someone that you might not have that level of comfort with outside of that relationship.
0: Lucas, in terms of scaling up a company now, you know, you guys, I think have been anywhere, probably sounds like from around 15 to 25 or 23 over the past couple of years. And you're growing. Sounds like you've been busy. What are some of the challenges that you're seeing? I'm sure you guys look ahead to some degree and say, listen, if we want to get to here, we're going to have to deal with things like this. What are some of the challenges that people can expect in growing a consulting firm that you've found so far?
2: Our biggest challenge you know, at the moment is continuing to find qualified, quality people that want to work here in Juneau or you know, in this climate finding that the resources for the company has been the hardest part, you know, so far, keeping them here has not, you know, once we've got them, but, you know, bringing in those resources, you know, filling out these uh, specialty expertise has been challenging. And I think that, you know, the geographical location uh, is part of that. Another kind of challenging thing that we've experienced, you know, after we kind of got over the initial hump of, kind of looking at each other, like, okay, we've kind of made it, you know, we feel like it's less of like just trying to stay alive. It's like, yeah, it is. How are we going to continue to grow and prosper? You're looking at work and you're a bit, you know, you're going after RFPs and, and trying to get as much work as you can. And one thing then, you know, and especially kind of in this market where there is a lot of work and there's plenty to go around, it's kind of finding that edge of where you've become too busy and you're overworked. And oftentimes I found, you know, how we're finding that edge is uh, by stepping over it. And so, okay, we got to scale something back here, or we need to figure out how to bring in more resources, outsource something. And so that's kind of been an interesting, as the company has been growing, it's not like we can look back and and say, well, we've been doing this, you know, level of business for 20 years and kind of have a good feel for what we can handle. And And so, you know, it's some challenging is, you know, it's hard to say no, but you know, knowing when to say no has been something that we're in the last year or two getting better at. And, and unfortunately, you know, sometimes that by getting too busy and, and finding out kind of where your ceiling is at, at the moment, and you know, how to kind of push past that, or decide, you know, maybe we aren't going to can't grow as as fast as we want. Those have definitely been some of the, the challenges as, as we continue to grow. And our goal is to kind of you know continue to. Create
0: a stable company. So, sounds like you guys are doing a really good job of it. And I'll tell you right now, from dealing with companies, civil companies across the United States, I think the problem is trying to hire qualified people to keep up with the workload. It sounds like it's a real challenge right now, which is positive in terms of there's a lot of work. It's just, you know, if you can't do it, it becomes a bottleneck. And so, I think that's something that everyone's going to have to deal with in some way, shape, or form. And obviously, like you said, you guys have some limitations. I guess one other question that I would ask you, Garrett, is. Which feeds a little bit off of what Lucas said in terms of having a lot of work and sometimes you guys have to be really busy with that work. Being that you are seasonal with the construction the way it is there, I would imagine that while the construction season, you're probably running at 150 miles an hour to get as much done as you can in those, you know, five or six months. Does it allow you in the off months to do some more of the strategy and thinking and planning and stuff like that? Does it take a little bit of pressure off in those months as opposed to if you had to run for 12 months?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it does. We're definitely very, very busy in the peak of construction season, both Lucas and I. When you're in the middle of construction, right, nobody's willing to wait for an answer. Usually when the phone rings or the email blows up, they needed an answer yesterday. So... That always becomes your focus on active construction projects. And it's especially challenging for Lucas and I, because we are still a small company. And despite being principal engineers and owners, we're still wearing a lot of hats. We're still directly involved in day-to-day decision-making in the deliverables and projects we're working on. There is not right now middle management in our company. We don't have a bunch of project managers we're leaning on. So we're still heavily involved in the day-to-day projects. So For me, especially, I've kind of here in the last month gotten into what I consider my little bit of a slower time, you know, over the next few months. This is going to be the time when I'm really focusing, putting a little more effort into marketing, business development, maybe updating the business plan, you know, developing new network connections, things of that nature.
0: Lucas, in terms of advice that you would have for civil engineer listening, they're going to start their own business, maybe they have a partner, maybe not, either way, like looking back on your journey. At this point, what's like a big piece of advice that you might give them about becoming a business owner that you think would be helpful for them?
2: Once you decide you're ready to make that leap and you feel comfortable doing that, I know that's sometimes the challenge is I have more to learn before I feel comfortable doing something on my own. And I think you'll always have more to learn and get into that comfort level. But while you're maybe young in your career and have this future ambition, it's... If you are wanting to, to start your own business, I think becoming a well-rounded engineer with the basics, uh, understanding of the basics of everything, like you don't have to be an expert you know, in materials testing. But if you understand how that job kind of entails, you know what you're looking for when you're hiring that expert, just broadening kind of your expertise and not uh, getting yourself you know, kind of forced into a, a specific technical kind of understanding where you know how to design this one part or, or you're kind of the expert there. I found that's been very helpful for me in the business, but also kind of how we've tailored our business to be a more well-rounded civil engineering firm. It kind of lines up that way. So just kind of depends on what your goals are for the company. And I found that that's been the the most helpful for me in the past. So it's kind of rounding out my overall skills as a civil engineer.
0: And Garrett, how about you? What advice would you give?
1: Got to be willing to push the boundaries of your comfort zone. And kind of that in follows with what Lucas is talking about from the technical side, but I think especially where you got to emphasize it is on your business and social skills. As engineers, I think we can all agree. And Anthony, I know a big reason why you're doing this podcast is those social skills and interpersonal relationships and people skills. They're just, it's not something we're really taught as an engineer. You know, it's not necessarily something that's been in the traditional industry to be brought up along with. So Those are, for me, I think, two areas especially that I've had to develop even further in, and I really encourage a lot of folks to take a hard look at and recognize is if you're going to make this leap of of going out on your own, you're going to have to be prepared to interact with a lot of different people in a lot of non-technical settings, and you need to be prepared to handle those relationships.
0: I'm going to ask you guys one more question here before we end this segment, and I'll start with you on this one, Garrett. A lot of civil engineers that might want to start their own company, one of the fears is that by no means is it like a nine to five job.
1: That's absolutely correct.
0: There's lots of things you have to deal with. I'm just wondering from a personal standpoint, you know, how do you manage that? How do you avoid, you can't burn out because your company's not going to make it. So how do you personally try to you know, stay focused on your business, but give yourself a little bit of relief so that you can stay fresh?
1: Early on, The highs are very high and the lows are very low. I can't even recall how many times early on in this business, something would come up and at the time, like, this is it. This is going to close our doors. Like, we're done. We're not going to be able to move past this. I think you've got to understand and you recognize over time that you really have to ride out those lows and not get too high when the highs do come because there are going to be more lows. And eventually you're just right in the middle of that wave. And I think as time goes, I know, especially in the last couple of years, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with just leaving work at work and trying not to get too worked up about things I think are going to be something we can't move past. Because at the end of the day, as long as we're continuing to deliver good services, we're working hard and we're communicating with our clients, we always seem to move past those issues.
0: That's great. How about you, Lucas?
2: I would say that's, that's uh, something I'm, you know, continuing to work on and, and figure out how to manage those things. I don't know if that'll ever go away. A key thing for me is a judge of, you know, what am I taking home with me? And at first it, you know, I was working late evenings to try and get deliverables done when I'm the one responsible and, you know, trying to establish that client base and that trust there. And you are working some late hours. And luckily that started, you know, has waned and is doesn't require as much anymore, but I'm always judging is even if I'm stressed out at work, I'm trying not to take that home and, and, and put that on my wife or, you know, let that affect decisions I'm making to have fun. And it is a challenging thing. I don't have all the answers for that. It's something I continually kind of am working on it and, and trying to, you know, where is that line and, and how to draw it. I think that will continue to evolve, you know, as the company evolves, as I evolve and we continue to go forward.
0: I do think early on in a business the highs are really high and the lows are really low. I mean, I know at EMI a couple of times we said, you know I'm thinking how are we making payroll this time around and then we go on a good run. And listen, I know if you're out there working for a company, you're an employee of a company as a civil engineer, you have stresses as well. You probably work a lot of hours as well, especially in the industry and in the economy and the market win right now. but there's something about having to you know come up with a payroll, especially if it's not just for you and for other people that are counting on it. Can bring a real added level of stress. But I do agree. Once you can keep it going for some period of time, the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't as low. You get a little bit more middle ground. You get better at it. You get more experienced at it. You're able to handle a little bit better. But again, to Lucas's point, then the next challenge comes along. And then, you know, you got to kind of buckle down again and start to figure out how you're going to deal with the next one. But it sounds definitely like you guys are doing a great job and you have a great relationship and you have a lot of good open communication, sounds like, between both of you and just in your company in general as a theme, which I think is excellent. And I think it's something that's needed, especially in the world that we're living in today, where there's just a lot of stuff, a lot of stresses and a lot of pressures that everyone's dealing with. And so I think the open communication culture is a good one. We're going to take a quick break and then I'm going to come back with Garrett and Lucas and we're going to put them on the civil engineering career hot seat. Stick with us. Civil Engineering Podcast.
1: Civil Engineering Podcast.
0: So we are back. Once again we have Garrett Gladshow and Lucas Chambers, co-owners and principal engineers at Pro HNS in Juneau, Alaska. They talked a lot about their business, how they've been building it, you know, open lines of communication. We talked about some of the challenges that they have in their geographic location, of course, and things you have to think about as owners of any company, especially civil engineering. But now we're going to put both of them on the civil engineering hot seat. You guys ready?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Garrett, let's start with you. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine, lunchtime routine, just something that you might do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to kind of your success as a professional?
1: Got to start with a hot cup of coffee first thing in the morning. That's for sure. But, you know, I kind of generally come in get settled, start catching up on my emails, getting those organized, laying out my priorities for the day. A lot of times I'll start looking through the public agency procurement sites, the bid sites we continually follow just to see if there's anything new that's popped up, see what kind of jobs are being posted. And oftentimes I'll kind of end up going down the rabbit hole a little bit. You know, If I see a set of plans posted for a project I'm not familiar with, and that set of plans has a firm on it I'm not familiar with, I'll start researching that firm. I'll go online, see what their online presence is, find out what they do, and kind of might seem like I'm wasting that first half an hour or hour of the day, but really what I'm trying to do is daily market and industry research. I'm trying to figure out who's our competitors, who's our potential teaming partners for future projects we might not have the skill set for, and just really trying to get a better feel for what's going on in our industry and you know Lucas and I talk about it all the time, but especially in this, especially being young, being a new firm, trying to get a foothold, we feel that knowledge of our industry and marketplace is is real power and we need to get as much of that power as we can.
0: I love that philosophy because to me, in the world we live in, things get busy when people get up and get going. So the earlier you can do some important research and stuff like that, I see that being real important. How about you, Lucas?
2: have a similar routine in the morning as Garrett. But what I've found even more useful, helpful for me, you know, mentally is taking lunch at home. And so I only live a few um, minutes drive from the office. And I really like to go home, make some lunch, let the dog out, and just give myself a few minutes to relax, even if it's on the drive, you know, there and from and kind of, you know, take a deep breath and and just regroup, you know, middle of the day has really been helpful for me. And even if I'm out on a construction project and can't make it home, you know, I try to let my find some space, you know, for a few minutes to just kind of eat lunch on my own and and let my regather my thoughts and let work be off to the side for a second. I found that as a really helpful kind of stress reliever and, and kind of lets me clear my thoughts and be ready to tackle the afternoon.
0: All right. So Lucas, let's start with you on this one. What's one book that you might recommend? It doesn't have to be specifically related to engineering, but maybe a book that you found helpful in your professional development, personal development, in growing a business. What's a book that's maybe stood out for you? Do you have one?
2: I haven't had a whole lot of time to read books lately. And when I do, it's usually a nonfiction book that's on, on vacation. And I just kind of let my thoughts wander. I don't have to really think too much on so What I do do and and what I would recommend is, you know, I I read the local news every day. I have found that this has been very helpful, uh, staying up with, you know, local projects, changes in city codes, you know, and informs me kind of on local politics and kind of directions that uh, different things are going. And I found this has been the most important thing for, you know, running that business is kind of getting entrenched in the community and and Back to what Garrett was saying about knowledge is power. You know, it's giving me that knowledge of kind of what's going on locally in our community.
0: That's great. I'm glad you said that because I do think, you know, something that a lot of civil engineering business owners miss out on is the importance of being plugged into your community. It's really essential to what we do as civil engineers. It sounds like you have a great way to do that. Garrett, how about you?
1: I've actually got a recommendation that I heard off the podcast here, and I really enjoyed a few years ago, but uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. I I think that had some fantastic uh, modern negotiating techniques in it, and it just really rung home with me.
0: If you're out there and you're too busy to read, like I know a lot of us are, the audio book for Never Split the Difference is phenomenal the guy was an FBI hostage negotiator. And so he's really takes you through every chapter in a different hostage situation, which makes it really an interesting and exciting read. Garrett, thinking back to a manager you might've had in the past, you don't have to name any names specifically, but if you think of a manager that you really like to work for, what was it about that person? What were the characteristics that made that person a good manager?
1: I had a mentor right out of college that uh, has always stuck with me, and actually, we're still friends to this day. But you know, I think what really stood out about him was he was very personable. He made an effort to connect with his staff, sharing not only his work challenges but also his personal life. And you know, I think because of that open communication and that relationship development, we had there. You know, we had a small office. There was, I think, just four of us engineers there at one point, and. It just kind of developed a family type feel almost where you were willing to run through walls for him if you needed. You know, if you had deliverables that needed to be in by 10 a.m. the next morning and we weren't quite there yet, well, we were working late or even all night. And he was right there with us. And he just set a good tone
2: and, and was, I felt like a really good leader in that regard.
0: How about you, Lucas?
2: I worked uh, with the uh, Forest Service um, as a college intern. And I had uh, my boss, I guess my mentor there, you know, he was getting towards the end of his career and but you could really tell he was still very passionate about his work and I think a part of this was because over time he had been able to evolve his, you know, position into what it was and and was given, was able to do so because the quality of his work. So, you know, this, to me, I saw this as a positive cycle of doing uh, good work because you liked what you were doing and and getting to do what you like to do because we're doing good work. So this is a mentality I've kind of taken with us to ProH&S and why we try to find and, and fit people into positions and roles that they're passionate about.
0: All right, guys, I got one last question for you. I'll start with you, Lucas. This is our civil engineering career elevator advice question. If you got into an elevator with a civil engineer, you had 30 or 40 seconds with him or her to give one piece of career advice in that short period of time, what would you say to that person, Lucas?
2: Don't be afraid to challenge yourself and take on new projects that may push your comfort zone. You know, I've learned most of my career by being forced to figure things out and not just applying a standard or continually replicating, a, you know, a simple detail, you know, it can be scary to start a project that you might not know what that final delivery is going to look like. And along the way, you really learn a lot and, and it helps you develop a process of blueprint for kind of solving problems that then you can take with you to the next project. And at the end of the day, this is, I think, the best way to, to grow your engineering confidence and your engineering toolbox.
1: How about you, Garrett? Be confident in your professional interactions, you know, especially early in your career. That served me really well and and something I've seen others not do that maybe hasn't served them as well. For example, if you're out in the field, contractor comes to you and say, hey, what's this mean? How do we do this? I don't understand it. Well, don't respond with, I don't know. That's the worst thing you can say. Instead, respond with something like, I'll look into it and and get back to you. Or let me take this to my supervisor and I'll follow up. Those latter responses, those I don't know responses are just, they're never going to work, but those latter responses, they're going to be well-received. They're not only going to build your confidence, but they're going to build the confidence of the people you're working with in your skills and your professionalism. And I think that can take you a long ways.
0: That's great. In fact, I'm actually reading a book right now that was recommended to one of our previous guests, Elliot Twig, called Power Phrases, which kind of goes to what you're saying, Garrett, and the way you communicate to people, the one-line phrases you use really can convey your confidence and how they react with you. It's very valuable. Well, guys, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. From time to time, companies tell us that people search them out to work there because they heard about them on the podcast. So I hope we can help in that way. If you're interested in going to Juneau, Alaska, you've got a couple of great guys here that will take you maybe under their wings and can help to build the company there. But honestly, thanks so much for your time, guys. You know, I think having professionals like you come on the podcast is really helpful for those engineers out there that are listening and that may want to take a step like you. So I really wish you the best in kind of building pro HNS. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, Anthony. It's
2: been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, Anthony.
0: Wow, I really enjoyed that episode with Garrett and Lucas. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. It's great to see two friends that were able to get together, and it looks like they're doing great things in growing Pro HNS, and I wish them all the best in doing it. And really, I enjoyed this entire Civil Engineering Entrepreneur Series. A really big thanks to our sponsor, Big Time. I'm so happy that we kind of pulled this off and were able to reach out to very busy business owners and get them to come on and do these shows. I think there's tremendous value in their experiences. And remember, you can find all of the episodes for this specific series at civilengineeringentrepreneurs.com. You can find the show notes for all of the Civil Engineering Podcast episodes, including this one at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 188, and there you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.